Hi there, welcome to episode 35 of Paranormal Blip. It is fantastic to speak to you again, and this episode is uh, dedicated to two extraordinary paranormal experiences that a dear friend of mine, Dan, had. Um, one is the Witch of Madrid, and the other one involves a walk in Wales. But before that, I just want to mention... Um, if you are interested in this kind of thing, <laughs> then you you probably know this already, but listen, man, I'm going to send you a, a link in the episode description to probably the most successful podcaster out there, um, because Graham Hancock and Randall Carson, uh, the guests of Joe, um, what's his name? Joe, you know Joe, Jojo, his podcast, and oh my god, they cover so much incredible stuff. We're talking Goblecky Tepe, we're talking um, uh, extraterrestrial abductions, we're talking um, ayahuasca, psilocybin, other psychotropic behaviors, we're talking Atlantis, we're talking Tesla, we're talking Rupert Sheldrake, I mean, you know, dogs that know when their owners are coming home, we're talking telepathy, we're talking telekinesis, and um, (laughs) it is such an excellent episode of the Joe Rogan, that's his name of course, the Joe Rogan podcast. So this podcast starts with my urging you, I mean, obviously, listen to this one first, pal. But after that, (laughs) I mean, there's a good chance that there's a big van, you know. Can you imagine the big van? There's there's quite a lot in in the kind of meeting place between the Venn diagram uh, of, you know, you know how Venn works, right? Me on one side, Rogan on the other, listening to old Hancock. Now, by the way, old Hancock, who comes from Bath, by the way, I think he's 72 now, and he's still up for it, isn't he, Graham? Yeah. And um, anyway, he I feature him in episode 7, the Shadow Biosphere episode, because in that episode, it's the I feature a little clip of the TED talk that he gave and then was taken off of TED. TED Danson, like, said, oh, we can't have this. And Danson did it as well to um, Rupert Sheldrake. So it's it's really, it's such a fantastic episode. The, and they go on for, like, three hours, don't they? So I still haven't heard any, any of the last hour or so, but the first two hours... Uh, you know, I just feel like, because I'm you know, doing an episode now, and I'm just listening to it right now, it would be, um, you know, not, not acceptable, really, in my eyes, not to tell you that it's out there. Get it in your ears, but first of all, we are going to be, uh, in a minute, in a minute, we're going to be listening to Dan talk about The Witch of Madrid. Before that, though, thank you ever so much for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate the um, renaissance in interest over the last month or so 
of the Chains of the Sea. We had massive numbers of listening to that over the last month. Uh, the Chains of the Sea episode, which is by far and away the most successful episode. <laughs> Not the one thing that I, there's nothing to do with me. I just read it out. But I can understand why it's so popular because it's an extraordinary uh, story, brilliant short story. And also, by the way, if you like the Chains of the Sea episode, check out episode 11, where I kind of do a celebration of the, the writer, Gardner Drozois's life. Okay, so that's pretty good. And also, obviously, if you want to follow me on Twitter, we're not too sure what's going on with Twitter at the moment, but, you know, we're still there. Um, it's at Paranormal Blip, and on Instagram, it's Paranormal underscore Blip underscore Podcast. So I haven't been on Twitter for long because I'm just really busy at the moment. But, you know, kind of uh, waiting, really, like all of us are, for the UFO report. It's right, really, I don't know what the hell is going on with that. I mean, what is going on with that? Is it just... I suppose that the election came along and, you know, kind of dominated everything. So now that the election is is done, and I know that they're still counting and the results are still up in the air to a certain degree... But hopefully, um, you know, a kind of newly minted Senate and House can kind of get back to get back to work and release this public version. By the way, on that, um, I, I'm, you know, I think the, the guys, Ross and uh, his uh, co-host on the We Need to Know podcast, Ross Coulthart, he, you know, they're basically saying, and a couple of other people are saying as well, you know, don't expect much, basically, you know. The tasty stuff might be happening in the classified sessions and the classified report, but in terms of the public report, I'm, I'm not expecting much at all. We did have this Daily Mail story, which was talking about, you know, over a 100 um, UFO sightings kind of verified by people that you know the US government trust like you know kind of people in the military essentially um but they're still not sure what's going on there so you know obviously when i you know read the thing i'll talk about it but i'm i'm not expecting that much by the way with ross um i'm loving the accent man that reading of the Eric Davis notes, the David Wilson notes, that is, I mean, it's quite extraordinary, the, the level of acting and the accenting in that episode. It's like he makes Quentin Tarantino look like Daniel Day-Lewis, you know. It is pretty, pretty ropey. <laughs> but I love that he just goes for it, you know. I really love that man. He's brilliant, isn't he? Not that I've ever... I mean, I don't know anything about him, really, apart from he's a very good journalist. And I am inclined towards Australians. You know, I do have a... I do have a big part of my heart in Australia at all times, you know. Um, anyway, this one, we're going to go to the bleeps. Oh, no, 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 the, they're not the blomps. I got told off by an old friend of mine for calling them the blomps. What, what do I call them? The interval, I call it the interval. And then, listen to The Witch of Madrid.
So it is my pleasure to welcome to the podcast a dear friend of mine, uh, Dan. Uh, hello, Dan. Hello, Pete. It's great to be here. Hello, how are you? It's I'm fantastic fine. to see you. It's, and... a little, it's a little bit wild and windy where I am in Wales at the moment, and I hope the uh, wind won't be rattling the windows as I tell this story. Yes, a wild and windy Wales. <laughs> So, exactly. so Dan, the story is is uh, involves when you, now you've got your you found your journal. I did, yes, exactly. Well, in fact, there are two stories I'm going to tell um, your listeners, Pete. Yes, and you. Um, the first of them happened about 25, 26 years ago. Uh, in fact, more than that, uh, it happened in nineteen ninety six um, in Madrid, and. Um, I'll just set up the context and then and do chip in, obviously, if if if, I, if you want clarification on things. But I, I first of all, I should say I'm I don't think of myself in any way as somebody suggestible or somebody. Um, I'm interested in physical and metaphysical things, but I'm not. I've never been. I've never really been particularly interested in the paranormal. So. The two experiences I'm going to share are things that I've never been able to explain to myself. And also I've never, no friends of mine have ever been able to explain either. So I'm, I'm truly, I'm really interested in, in what happened in these two situations, one of them in Madrid and one of them in Wales. And um, the only thing thinking about it today, before we started this recording is I wondered whether having grown up Catholic does make me more <laughs> But I don't know if is there some something in me, even though I'm a very lapsed Catholic now. Is there something in me from those religious upbringing, which means I'm I am more open to certain certainly superstitions. I'm very superstitious, so there may be things that I where I do kind of partially connect to paranormal things. And you could say that you know if you've been brought up as a child believing in a, in a religion like that, <laughs> that is also paranormal. So. Anyway, so shall I go? Uh, shall I dive straight into the first story? Absolutely, yes, please. Okay, well, the context of this is it was summer 1996. Um, I was at a kind of crossroads in my life at the time because I we'd just started the group I was working with in London, the sort of arts organisation. We'd just started doing a massive project that would become very important in my life, and in fact, lead to the books um, I've now published. Um, but at the time, I was also coming to the end of a very long relationship with um, my Russian partner, Alyosha. And it had been a tumultuous relationship, about six and a half years. And I was sort of puzzling over how to kind of end that relationship at the time, because it really had run its course. But I couldn't end it because I out of kind of loyalty. It sounds absurd. But anyway, I was in a difficult place in my personal life and we were sharing a very small flat in Islington and I'd come to Spain that summer in August of that year to, to visit a dear friend of mine uh, John who was working as a journalist in Madrid at the time um, and we just had we had 10 days fantastic experience walking in the mountains of southern Spain in the Alpujarras and and we walked up Muljacen the big the tallest mountain in Spain and then and then we ended up in Granada. And then on, I've, I've just dug out my journal because I've actually found this all written down, which I've forgotten I've written about it in such detail. On the 24th of August in 1996, which I read, it was a Saturday, 
Um, we left Granada that morning, um, having been to the Alhambra the day before, and we drove back to Madrid and got back to Madrid. And I was staying at John's um, flat in the right in the center of Madrid. And John was staying with this new girlfriend. He had just uh, this woman he just met called Colleen, who was half Irish, half Spanish, a very I really liked her very kind of fiery um lively life very lively character and john um said we'll meet you in a bar uh, uh, later on in the evening and so we'll see you there colleen and i will see you in this bar um and um and we may be joined by a friend of colleen's so i i then had a little rest and then um found walk down i can even tell you the street i walked down down through somewhere called tribunal and along a street called Vicente ferrer for anybody who knows Madrid, and looking at the little shops and the little cafes and bars around. And there was this, this Irish bar where I was due to meet um, John and Colleen, o O'Donnell's, um, which was a recently opened Irish bar. And um, so I, I, I go in and uh, Colleen uh, was asking us about our trip down to the mountains and all, all these sort of things. Anyway, and then she said, oh, and a friend of ours will be coming to join us um, in, in a few minutes. And she's called Lourdes. And um, she's got magical powers. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't know what that meant. I just laughed. I thought she was just joking. And I said, oh, really? How lovely. It's always nice to meet somebody with magical powers. And I should explain at this point that I was still in a time of my life where I was kind of... I was open to having relationships with men and women at that time. So, and I thought they kind of set me up in a way with this friend. I thought that's what it was going to be anyway. Um, and a few minutes later, sure enough, when we were, you know, we were about halfway down our first pint of Guinness, this woman arrives in the bar in O'Donnell's and she's short, uh, blonde, which I thought was strange for a Spanish woman, very blonde and wearing an extraordinary orange and yellow streaked dress. So she looked a bit like a kind of firecracker or something. And um, we had, you know, there was a few little pleasantries at the beginning. And then Lourdes sat down next to me. And over the next 15 minutes, she told me everything about my life. And I was absolutely flabbergasted she told me about she well she, she told me that my somebody very close to me had died that she thought it was my father had died and he had died very suddenly in an accident about 10 years before and she said you've never really recovered from that she also said i've just in the last two years there's been a lot of suffering and you're being, and then she said this, this, that I've actually, I'm quoting direct from my journal now. He's crushing you. He's castrating you. You can't breathe. You must think of yourself, what you need. She told me about the fact I had a brother and a sister. Um, she told me, she intuited that in, in, in my life that there were so many people. She saw me with lots of people around me um, and I was under a huge amount of pressure, but I was smiling, but it wasn't a real smile. Um, she also said that 
the relationship I was in was preventing me from pursuing my real creative passion. And then she said, I know you're going to write and you must, you're so idealistic. You're always looking to the future, but you need to be on the earth as well. You're not on the earth, you're in the air. You're up in the air. So in 15 minutes, and by the way, I must say something here. Later, I, I, I interrogated John and Colleen. They had told her nothing about me, apart from I'd been at university with John. We'd been at Cambridge together. And that was the only thing, the only information they'd given to this friend. So in this 15 minutes, I was sitting in this quite noisy bar in, right in the middle of Madrid with this woman beside me re who read me like a book, everything, my current state of mind, the, my family history. She talked about my sister and how, how concerned I was about my sister, which was true. Um, it was absolutely staggering. And I just started giggling. I mean, I started, I couldn't, I couldn't say anything. I was absolutely transfixed. And I said, how, how do you know this? How can you? And she said, Dan, I have powers. And um, anyway, so after about, you know, had another drink. Um, uh, and then uh, Colleen and John kind of, uh, they'd been, they'd obviously been realizing what was going on. And so Colleen then said, Dan, what did I tell you? I told you Lourdes is famous. She's famous in Madrid. She's called the Witch of Madrid. She has these powers. And I said, I still wasn't totally sure whether there'd, there'd been some kind of setup. But later I found out they absolutely swore they hadn't told Lourdes anything about me. And of course, this is pre, this is way pre-internet. So there's nothing she could have found out online. I mean, she wouldn't have known my name anyway, but, you know, she couldn't have found out any, any information about me. Anyway, um, after about half an hour long more, John and Colleen very, very naughtily went off. They just left and um, we arranged to meet the next day and they left me with Lourdes. And then these two um, gay friends of Lourdes turned up in their open top sports car, who I now realize, I would have forgotten their names, but Carlos, um, and Jesus turned up, um, quite a camp couple, um, probably quite good looking in their early 30s. I was then in my, you know, uh, mid 20s at this time, or no, late 20s, probably. They're a little bit older than me. And then they drove us, you know, there's their open top sports car. They drove us to another bar right in the center of Madrid along these kind of um, um, these big avenues. And in the middle of the avenues in the summer, they all become bars. And we must have had... I mean, God knows, six, eight drinks. I mean, big, big um, amounts to drink. And I, I have to say, I didn't speak any Spanish. So they were, we were taught communicating in pidgin English with the odd word of Spanish that I threw in. And, um, uh, you know, I felt, I, I just sort of, I was at that stage of my life where I just thought, well, let's see where this goes. Let's see where this evening <laughs> ends up. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd do it now. And the next thing I knew, we were in a car, we were in their car again, going to another bar and more drinks. And then we ended up, I mean, this must be now, you know, two or three in the morning. 
we ended up and Lourdes was getting out of the sports car and sort of dragging me out of the car as well. I mean, we both had far too much to drink. And um, Carlos and Jesus, with lots of ribald laughter, um, drove off in their car. And I thought, oh, I see. So, right, Lourdes is now going to try and <laughs> seduce me, <laughs> is she? <laughs> and, she, she um, and I thought, well, I don't know. Do I fancy her? I'm not sure. Probably not. And I'm still technically in this relationship with Alyosha. So, you know, I probably shouldn't do this. But anyway, up the stairs we went. And her flat was in on the top floor of this block of flats, about four stories up. And um, there, I noticed there are multiple locks when we went in, about three or four locks. And we go into this apartment, and then she lock, locks the door in a complicated way. And all these cats come out from her apartment. <laughs> four or five different cats from different directions. And it's sort of she's talking she's communicating to all the cats and I think well of course a witch in Madrid would have lots of cats you know <laughs> and um and then she go, and then we go through to the and then she kind of drags me through to the bedroom and and at this point she she collapses on the bed and she, but she's still holding my hand and says oh Dan Dan come come here just just be with me just be with me and I think, oh, this is this is getting this is slightly weird. This is slightly weird. And then I found out reading my journal. I've forgotten this detail. She's then violently sick. I mean, she's thrown up violently sick. <laughs> and then I'm trying to then be an English gentleman and thinking, well, I don't know what her motives were in bringing me back to her flat, but I've now got to help. So I'm trying to clear up the sick. And then try and get her to the loo, and then she, you know, I do, and then clean her up a bit, and then take her back to the bed. Make sure she's in the in the recovery, in in this propped up on her side, and she's still moaning and saying, "Oh, Dan, Dan, I'm not normally like this. Please don't judge me. Please don't judge me. Stay here with me. Sleep here with me, Dan. Please don't leave me. Don't leave me." And um, I just think, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> And and the cats are on the bed. You know, the cats are around on the bed. You know, about four, three or four of them around the bed, and there's another one meowing in the doorway. And I'm thinking, this is a very odd situation. This is really a strange situation. And um, after a while, she's gone fast asleep. I'm I'm not worried about her being sick, and because she's I've I've rested her on her side. And then I start to try and get off the bed to get. And I'm thinking, I've I've just got to get out. This is getting too mad. And um, at this point, the cats all start trying to, and Lourdes sort of stirs, but she doesn't wake up totally, you know, because she's still too too drunk, really. Anyway, I get to the front door, and I realise that with all these complicated locks, there's just no way of opening the door. <laughs> so I then have to, I then have, to, I realise there's a little, um, uh, there's a there's a little window which leads to the stairwell. So if I can get the window open. At this point, the cats are jumping up onto the sort of kitchen, um, the kitchen side bits, you know, on the, as I'm trying to get up to this window to get out into the stairwell. I finally managed to get myself up and, and through and get out. And then, you know, I'm walking down the steps and out of the apartment building. And then I realize, of course, I've got no idea where I am. I mean, I've got, I, I know, I know it's still in Madrid. It, by this stage, the dawn is coming up over Madrid. 
so at least I can see the street. But I've just because no, no idea because I wasn't paying any attention when we got driven there. I hardly even remember arriving. And so I'm in the middle of Madrid, you know, um, and trying to walk around the street. It's just until I find something I recognise or until I, you know, the equivalent of a nice, you know, London policeman who I maybe could ask directions from back to where, <laughs> where my flat is. And I do eventually, I just by, uh, you know, after walking around for about a mile or two, I do I do find the little um, area where the Irish bar was and I realised we hadn't come far from there. So... I then get, I then get back and um and then and then I I I, I sleep I uh, you know I sleep off the um the night and wake up and the next day I was so angry with John and I said John how could you and Colleen leave me with the witch of Madrid I mean do you know what she tried to do <laughs> and John thought it was absolutely hilarious and uh, but I never I've never been able to um I've never really been able to understand how somebody can tell you everything about your life never having met you before yeah i still don't really i still have no understanding of that well there is a um there's a kind of thinking out there a theory out there yeah that there are some people who are able to access a kind of realm um that is full of information if you like mm. and and you can access these things in in various ways but you know a medium if you want to call the witch of madrid that mm. will be able to will be able to do that will be able to uh you know kind of information would would come to her and it may be that there's like this various um you know, kind of ways that medium talk about how mediums talk about how this might happen. Mm. It might be that she has some kind of guide or someone like in another realm that is kind of telling her this stuff. Or it well, might be that she's just picking it up herself somehow. Mm. So that's the kind of thing that medium talk about. I mean, there's this um, very interesting conversation I had with somebody a couple of, about a month ago. Mm. His name is Dad Smith. And it's one of the episodes on Paranormal Blood. Mm. And, and he is a remote viewer. And his mum, so a remote viewer is somebody who basically can um, kind of see what is happening remotely. So see what is happening somewhere else, okay? Somewhere else in the world, you mean? Somewhere else in the world, yeah. Wow. But the thing about Daz is that he can see anything at any point in time anywhere <laughs> so how what where the hell would you focus on if that was the case i mean how well, would you well what what he does is that he gets um tasked with answering people's questions basically oh, so if there are like if there's a mystery if there's a kind of so for instance one i mean it is absolutely extraordinary dan one thing that he's done that he did for years and years and then he got out of it because it's like very gruesome stuff is that he helps um, police forces all across the United States with right. missing persons cases. Jesus. So he would like assist these forces find a missing person, and oh. usually that the, it was a you know deceased. Oh, that's awful. Yeah, I know it's like unbelievable. So that's so he has a, a kind of an ability to access this 
wow. whatever it is, you know, this kind of this other realm. And he, his mum was a medium, mm. and he was kind of trained as a medium when he got when he was he started, I think, at ten years old. Wow. But then he kind of found this other thing, remote viewing, which he felt like was a lot more controlled right. and a lot more. So yeah, so that's one example. I mean, of... the thing about the thing about what happened in that bar in Madrid, because I've often thought about it, um, and most um you know supposed mediums you know like the you know the the the, the old sort of stereotype of the, the gypsy woman in a tent somewhere on a fairground i mean they rely on incredible vagueness in terms of saying you know you've lost yeah. somebody no, well, totally. really everybody, yeah, yeah, yeah. really everybody's lost somebody at yeah, some point. Yeah, yeah. or you oh, are you're, oh, you're going uh, through what trouble was in your relationship what was the thing about this was the specificity was so yes. extraordinary that she said you know he's um suffocating you He's crushing you, which is exactly what I felt at the time in this relationship. And thing, and the fact that she picked on the, my father had died, um, and my sister. I was very worried about my sister, and and she also. Oh my God! The other thing, the thing I forgot. She also said, in 1998, you will meet your love, and it. I don't know whether it will be a boy or a girl, but that will be your love in 1998. And it, and I did meet somebody in 1998, and it's an extraordinarily complicated story, which I won't go into now. But they they kind of were the love of my life, and wow. um, and you know, and possibly maybe again in the future. But you know, so that that again, but again, it was a specificity, extraordinarily specific things yeah. that she mentioned in that in those. It's only 15 minutes in that, but in a busy bar, you know, surrounded by all this noise, and I I just was staggered. I was absolutely staggered. Yeah, I bet. Absolutely. And have you kind of thought about, I mean, the, the after an experience like that, it's clearly, um, you know, real, if you like. But have you thought about what's underneath it? Like, what are the, what, what do you think her powers are? Have you thought about much, that that much? I think you might be on something when you talked about that ability. It sounded almost what you were saying is like an ability to tune in as if to a very, very precise radio wavelength or something that some people have this ability to tune into and yeah. other people simply can't hear. Yeah, a, little bit like, yeah. a little bit like some, when you're younger, you know, we can all hear the sounds of bats, but when, when you get older, that's one of the things that you lose the ability to hear. I mean, we just, everybody does biologically. When you get, I think beyond 50, or 60, you can't hear the sound of bats anymore, but when yeah. all children can. So there are certain things which we know that we can hear, we can hear or not hear, to use that analogy. And I'm just thinking with her, it could have been something to do with her childhood, things which happened maybe in her childhood, which made her super attuned, a kind of extraordinary sensitivity, because she did use that word to, about me in that, in that time. She talked about the my sensitivity and my idealism. She picked up on those two things. But mm. that may be because she was maybe reflecting that was something she felt as well, possibly. Right. I don't know about that. But yeah. Yeah. But you're right though. I mean, that, that's what as Smith talks about in terms of remote viewing. He says that everybody has got this capacity. Yeah. In 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 the same way that everybody can sing. But nice. not everybody is an opera singer, you know. Yeah, yeah. So you can, so it's something you can tune, something you can work on, something you can focus on, 
and something that you can get better at, basically. And actually, I, this this see, this leads in rather nicely to the second story because, um, you know, for the last sort of seven or eight years, I've spent probably three quarters of my time here in Wales, although I've still got a place in London. But I, I'm my my creative space really is here, and um, it's a it's a totally magical place um, right next to the sea. Um, but sheltered it's at one end of a bay and since i've moved here i mean i've i've really i've become attuned to the natural world in a way i never was in the rest of my life i mean i grew up in the countryside so i i can I, you know, i've always been able to identify trees and birds and things like that but i'm talking about a different level since i moved to wales and it's the very northwestern tip of wales pentlin which is the most magical part of the country and it's the place where most folklore, most Welsh folklore, um, for, you know, there, there's so many stories about this place. It was the only place that was unconquered, unconquered by the English, unconquered by the Romans. It's always been Welsh speaking. It's the, it's the, it's the heart of Welsh speaking Wales. Um, and the, 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 the other thing about it is that there's, in, you probably know um, the, the great book of Welsh folk stories is the, called the Mabinogion. And mm. in the Mabinogion, there are so many stories about animals and human children becoming salmon and then turning in from a salmon to an eagle and shape-shifting and changing their bodies, their human forms for animal forms. And I've felt since I've been here in the last seven or eight years, I've had some absolutely remarkable experiences with animals, with birds and with foxes and with um, badgers and with, uh, you know, and, and, sort of um, moments where they appear, and owls especially, owls appearing at certain very, very difficult moments or certain key moments when, when I'm at a kind of breakthrough stage in, in what I'm writing about. And, an, and a barn owl will suddenly appear or a little owl will be there in the road so that I'll almost have to break and stop the car. Or, you know, and, and, and um, I found a part of a mountain where, a side of a mountain where if you go there at a certain time of year, hundreds of ravens will fly from all across Wales and from, from you know, miles and miles around, and they'll roost above this forest on the side of a mountain. Oh. And it was so stunning when I first discovered this. And I've gone to this, this place, this forest place, and I realised I couldn't go beyond a certain boundary, which was in completely invisible. But it was the ravens, it was the territory of the ravens. And they were all overhead, all overhead, making this extraordinary kind of and, but you know, hundreds of them, like almost like looking like flies. I mean, there were so many of them. I've never seen as many ravens together meeting like that. And so there are play magical places like that that I've I've only become attuned to since I've moved here. And um and conversely, when I'm in a period when I'm not, when I feel very blocked creatively, a lot of those birds don't seem to appear or the, or the animals don't seem to appear. But the actual, this, sorry, this is a very long winded intro into the, into my second paranormal story, really, which is um, at the, oh, this only happened a couple of years ago. In fact, it was the very, very early weeks of the pandemic. And I know it was bizarrely, it happened on, Friday the 13th of March 2020. I know it was that day because um, I'm a passionate football 
supporter as well. And my team, Leeds, had a, we were on a very good run and we had a home game against Huddersfield that evening. And I was so fed up going for my walk in the evening that when I turned on the radio, they said this game had been cancelled. It was one of the first games to be cancelled in that period of March. Yeah. Um, at the very, you know, the beginning beginning weeks of the pandemic. And so I, I rather grumpily turned my radio off. I was walking. You've got to picture a long bay, about four miles. It's a long, long sandy beach. And um, I can actually see it out of my window now. I can't see it now because it's dark, but in the daytime I can see it. And it curves right round. And I started walking at the other end where there's a little place where a few cars can park. And I started to walk down the sandy beach. And I thought, I realised obviously the tide, I checked the tides were going to be low tide because people can have get caught out on that beach. And I almost got caught out once when I just moved here and had to end up scrambling up a cliff as the sea came in. It was a bit airy. So I thought, I'm not going to get caught out again. I'm going to walk. So I, I did it at low tide. I walked about three miles all the way down this sandy beach. And by now it was dusk. It had turned from dusk and just beginning to be dark. And I got down to a, a, a place only about, probably about half a mile from where my house is, or maybe a mile. And... Um, and I was, I could sort of sense where Talavon, where my house is, up on the up on the hill. And I paused. I always stop halfway through my walks, and I and I I stop. I find somewhere to sit, and then reflect or think through a particular thing I'm working on or writing on. And I usually have a little cigar at this point, like a small cigar. So I was looking for a, a kind of rock to sit on, and there was only one. There was one place to sit, and I and um, and then just before I sat down on this rock, um, I sort of something, and I've got no idea what this was, Pete. Something made me not sit down on this obvious place, on this rock. And I started walking away from the rock. And I'd got about, it's about 20 seconds after this, I heard the loudest noise I have ever heard in my life. A, a, a furious, roaring, thunderous noise. And the whole of the cliff where I'd been 25 seconds before had collapsed onto the stone I was about to sit down on. Oh my God. And it was, I was so close that bits of earth hit the back of my um, legs. So I was only, I just got out of the, I mean, if I'd been, I would have been buried. I would have been buried. I would have been killed instantly. Jesus Christ. And that's the second experience of my life where I thought, fucking hell. Somebody's looking out for me. There's some force there. There's something. What made me? I, I'd started to sit down. I'd literally started to sit down and get my, go for my, get my cigarette. And something, some little voice said, not there. Wow. And I was, I, 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 it's strange. The, the link with Madrid is that I started laughing. I started giggling hysterically as I had with Lourdes. I just started laughing and then shaking. I mean, I was shaking all over my body. 
and that's probably i think that's quite a common thing when you've had a near-death experience you kind of it's this exhilaration and and sort of hysteria yeah and um and i then thought that my writerly side then thought god that would be an extraordinary short story because you know they find the car they find the car in the you know little tiny little car park and then people all say god isn't that strange you know dan was on the verge of you know he just published this amazing book and was getting all the we didn't realize he you know and then he walked into the sea you know he just decided <laughs> to go into the sea i mean how extraordinary did you know he was depressed no not at all i didn't he seemed in such good form at the book launch how bizarre and then about two or three years later when the sea had washed away what had fallen what had collapsed that whole cliff cliff about 50 60 feet of cliff that had collapsed they would have found my skeleton there <laughs> under all the mud and the earth. Bloody hell. <laughs> but that's, that's incredible. I mean, that is fucking. I mean, I just, I, and I've told that to many people, and people are nobody. Of course, nobody can come up with an explanation because yeah. there is, there's no rational explanation for what happened. No. That's really extraordinary, Dan. I, I've never heard that before. Right. I mean, I'm not, I know you know that, but I'm telling the listener that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's absolutely incredible, Dan. Yeah. But thank God you moved, eh? I mean, I've had, I have had, you know, I mean, I've, I've been luckier than a lot of people. I've had, I've probably had um, five or six, four or five experiences in my life where I've come very, very close to death. You know, I mean, really close. But that was the closest. And, um, yeah. I mean, it's. Right. Uh, I mean, one one completely practical thing that I have changed my, uh, uh, completely changed my walking behaviour, as your your listeners may be happy to know. Since then, is I never walk. I never walk under the cliffs. I mean, I will. I would never walk. You know, within you know thirty or forty or fifty yards of the cliffs because when it rains here. Um, yeah. They we do have a lot of cliff falls, and in fact, um, up at Nevin, not far away, the whole you know whole cliff collapsed last year and taking people's gardens away. I don't think any houses, but all these gardens were just into the sea. Oh, really? so, you know, and it, so it is. You know, but and I do tell, and I also tell people in the summer if they're picnicking under the cliffs, I, I go up to families and say, look, you really, it's not a good idea to be right under the cliff. And I, I do tell some of them that what happened to me. <laughs> so, yeah. And so there's, you know, there's a, but, but I mean, that's, a, that's being practical about it. But I mean, yeah. How can you, how can you explain something like that? That's incredible. <laughs> it happened, a proper... on, happened on Friday the 13th as well. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's a proper premonition. What's in, and what's strange about that story? When I've told different friends that story, it's fascinating how people react because half the people I tell that to say, God damn, that's, you're so lucky. I mean, that's extraordinary. And then about half or maybe just under half say, God damn, that's so unlucky to be in that area when the <laughs> cliff collapsed. <laughs> and depending on your character or your outlook on life, you could view that as the greatest story of good luck or a, a terrifying story of bad luck of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's quite interesting, isn't it? 
how do you how do how would you think about that well i think that you uh um that you had a kind of premonition of what what was about to happen yeah you know and it was the the signal or whatever was strong enough um for you to move and maybe you didn't quite know well you didn't know what was going to happen no no but you knew that you couldn't sit down yeah and that was so strong that you you know against the kind of what you would normally would have done you mm. you moved mm. uh, i think it's i definitely think it's lucky i mean <laughs> i can't see how people say that's unlucky really no 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 but, um, and that, but but that premonition is fascinating, isn't it? That I that I, mean, I think you're right. It, it must have been a premonition, a voice, or a premonition, or an inner voice, or yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, but again, yeah. I've never had such a strong example of that. Um, well, I could tell I you, have, I have uh, had strangely, I've had, I have had some odd things happen on. There's a stretch of road, which I've often travelled. Um, between going down to see my family in Suffolk. Um, it's actually, I don't go that way any, anymore. I go a different route. But it's a stretch of road, weirdly, between Colchester and um, kind of East Burkholt in Suffolk. And it's there's a really weird, it, it doesn't bend. It's going down a hill from Colchester and then the road bends round to the left. And I've always felt something weird driving that little bit, <laughs> thinking that maybe something bad will happen there in the future. Oh my god! And I don't know, you know. I, I mean, I, nothing ever has. But I always, if I have to drive that stretch, I always drive incredibly carefully. That half mile or so, and that's I've never been able to explain that little bit. That's kind of that's curious. So maybe I am. There is something in me that is is tuned to some premonition thing. I don't know if that is possible. I'm not sure. So, I mean, it's, you know, I, I think it happens in the kind of research for, you know, the paranormal and kind of extraordinary phenomena. It is, it is, a, it is something that happens. Like, there's no question in my mind that it's something that happens. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to believe. I, I would genuinely love to believe in some kind of guardian angels. And and one of my favourite films of all time was Wings of Desire, that wonderful Vim Vendors oh, yeah, film yeah, set yeah. in Berlin with the mm. angels who were invisible to the rest of the world, um, listening <laughs> to heartbroken people on, you know, the tube, the Berlin metro and people worrying about their lives. And they, and they come down, they fly down from the Berlin rooftops and they listen to the man who's just had an accident on his motorbike thinking he's going to die and all the memories of his life. And it's such a beautiful film. And I, I would so love there to be guardian angels in the world. Maybe there are, who knows, but. And it's interesting what you're saying about being a Catholic. Well, yeah. Being brought up a Catholic. Yeah. In the UFO world, mm -hmm. there are lots, like the main uh, kind of contingent of you know, serious UFO researchers yeah. have got this thing that they're Catholic. How fascinating. Gosh, that's yeah. interesting. Like lo loads and loads of them are Catholic. Right. And there's this um, religion, this this person that studies religions, um, who's an academic, and mm. she's written a book in the last couple of years called American Cosmic, which right. looks at the 
relationship between, um, well, what she was doing was she was writing a book a couple of years ago about, um, I think it was about like kind of extraordinary like miracles and like incredible Catholic experiences oh, in like Catholic texts, like going back hundreds of years. Yeah. And there were some of these, when she was researching the book, there were some experiences that didn't quite fit and she kept putting them on the side and she thought and and she once like she showed a friend this pile of things that she kind of found which she found absolutely incredible but mm. didn't really fit with the kind of thing that she was writing right. that didn't really fit the pattern and and this friend of hers said this sounds like a steven spielberg movie Right. And then she, they said, like, these are UFO experiments. Wow. And then she kind of re-looked at them and she saw this kind of connection between, you know, stuff that was written 400 years ago and stuff that people talk about now. And then she went into the UFO world, which is this really incredible book because she's a, his, like a um, academic on religion. Look at this area. And she talks about the kind of, you know, the kind of cross, she cross references both fields basically it's very interesting it's called american cosmic by the way um just yeah. as you're talking I, I've, I've had another idea it's interesting I, I just wondered whether what you might make of this because i've always well now i'll start this a different way at the end of my book uh when it came out i at the end of the book, I put a sort of um, thanks in to people, not acknowledgements, because I hate that at the book. But I thank people. And I, and I realised that as, as I was writing it, I wanted to thank a lot of people who were no longer living. Because I don't make any distinction, really, between... Oh, well, of course I make some distinction, because I can see people who are still living, you know, and I, in a way. But, but I... People who've died are so present for me all yeah. the time, all the time. I mean, my father died in this um, shockingly sudden, in this fire in 1985, I and mean, it's almost 40 years ago. I see his face every day of my life, and he's present for me. Mm. Um, my aunt, who died a few years ago, I was very close to, she's present, entirely present for me. Um, John Berger, the writer we both love greatly, who died a couple of years ago? John's often present for me. Um, I and I talk and I also talk to people. I talk to these people. They're real. They're, you know, I have conversations with them. I talk, and it suddenly struck me. It's interesting doing this um, thing with you today because if if those people are present for me and they're technically dead, am I present for them? Mm. And this comes back to the Catholic thing. Yeah. Because if if I'm present for them, could they be sending me warnings not to sit down on that rock? Yeah. <laughs> you see what I mean? I never thought about it before. Absolutely, absolutely. And maybe again, my, maybe my supposedly dead father or my supposedly dead aunt, or even the supposedly dead John Berger. Maybe they were all telling me, Dan, don't sit down on that rock. No, absolutely, yeah. 
Well, I, I mean, I've never thought about it before, but maybe that's maybe they're the guardian angels. Maybe the dead people who we've loved. Yeah. Maybe they become our guardian angels. I don't know. I have that um, that that kind of ongoing relationship with like, my parents who are both dead. Yeah. And, you know, they're kind of part of my son's culture and my son's life, you know, mm-hmm. even though they passed away before he was born. Mm-hmm. And I I mean, I'm kind of partly because I'm really aware that they need to be whatever represented to him, you know, um, through stories and stuff like that. But also there's a, something in inside like I'm thinking about them all the time, mm. not in a kind of loss way, but just in a kind of current, you know, they're part of my life way. Mm. And, um, you know, uh, Underworld, the Don DeLillo book, there's this fantastic oh, yeah. uh, line in that where at the end of the book, towards the end, his, his the main character, Nick's mother dies. Right. And DeLillo writes um, something like, you know, he he was... She was a part of him more so now than at any other point in his life. Wow. And that makes sense wow. to me, you know? Absolutely makes sense, yeah. 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 Wonderful. And then there's this idea of, um, I mean, it's not quite the same thing, but the the idea that there are um, kind of beings that other people have the ability to kind of converse with and see sometimes and certainly and communicate with you know just mm. slightly i mean you know my friend uh that i spoke to for a recent episode of paranormal blip she has a whole bunch of paranormal experiences around a haunted house that she used to live in right um and then kind of going on from there and that's absolutely extraordinary i mean mm. they're almost like the opposite of a guardian angel in oh, that okay in that right. way but you know quite threatening and um right. terrifying really but something but you know at the same time being aware of and kind of like um observing and seeing and you know being um you know experiencing something. i mean that's that is the curious something thing else. I, I, i've never had any any sense of the paranormal being disturbing or um sinister or um you know these the, the, it, I, I always feel it's entirely benevolent really it's a kind of um yeah. I, I, protective it's a it's a protective generous beautiful it's not um i mean god no i mean that would be really challenging for me if i if i you know if i moved somewhere that where there was sort of really something disturbing or you know that the house had been messed up when i come back and yeah i mean that would be really odd for me because yeah. I've never felt that. I've just felt a remarkably, if there is something paranormal that I or something I can't explain, it's always in a in a sort of benevolent way, really. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, I know the story of the cliff falling. That's shocking, but the fact that I was gently something made me not sit down on that rock. That was that was incredibly. I feel very blessed by that. Absolutely, yeah. it's not a. It's not something that's sinister in any way. It's a sort of entirely beautiful, um, uh, other world blessing in a way. I mean, I can't yeah, no, totally, think yeah. of it. You know, so yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. Well, th- Dan, thank you so much 
for talking to my audience and talking to me about these incredible things that you've experienced. Well, thank you, Pete. I've really enjoyed it. And it's triggered some new thoughts, which is always wonderful. So, yeah. Great pleasure. So, well, thank you ever so much for um, for talking to us. Thank you ever so much, Dan. It's fantastic to catch up with you and to hear your extraordinary experiences. Now, I do know that I do have listeners in Madrid. So if you know Lourdes, the witch of Madrid, then please do get in contact with me. Um, you know, is, is she known in Madrid? Please tell us. Uh, at Paranormal Blip on Twitter is probably the easiest way of contacting me. Um, so yeah, that's it. That's the episode. So listen, thank you ever so much, Dan. And uh, one of the th great things that Hancock says and the old Joe Rogan is, we're the disruptors. We're the contrarians. <laughs> it's really good. He doesn't say it like that, but he does say, we're the disruptors. Anyway. See you later.